Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode. I am your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen. And Brooks, before we get into anything else that's been going on throughout the week and over the weekend, I think we would be wrong not to start with the controversial call from Saturday's game. Memphis has the ball fourth and nine, looking to either tie or win the game, or actually just straight out win the game, and some controversy ensued. Brooks, walk us through that, and I want to know your thoughts on the call and what you thought after watching the copious amounts of replays, what went through your head when the play happened and then after the play happened. Well, the the play developed as the pocket collapsed on Brady White. White scrambled to his right, uh, started to get pulled down by a defender, by a lineman, and somehow managed as he's being tackled by his shoulder to fling the ball out to Joey Magnifico. Magnifico comes back to the ball, makes a diving catch, and the ruling on the field as Joey Magnifico scoops up the ball and stands up is that it's a catch. The ruling on the field is a catch. So the refs review some film, they go to the monitors, and they come back and say that it was not a catch, that the ball bounced off the ground. And it's amazing to see the reaction from Temple fans uh, in saying, we're just going to trust that the the refs had some sort of video evidence from the stadium feeds that we didn't have on ESPN. So there's some sort of mysterious footage out there that shows the refs are right. And what I say to that is show me the damn film. Show me the film because there's no way that you can watch what ESPN replayed from their feed and then the one Jumbotron clip uh, of Joey Magnifico scooping the ball, turning his shoulder into the ground, and bracing himself with the ball pinned in between his body and his elbow and arms and say that that's not a catch. Because here's the thing. The, the response from the league, from the AAC afterward, uh, is that they stand by the call by the referees, by the review, in stating that the ruling on the field was correct, which is just stupid in and of itself because they didn't even take the time to to admit and recognize that the ruling on the field was a catch. So they were saying that the ruling on the field of not a catch was correct, that the video evidence supported it, and that's just not even the case. So uh, absurd on so many levels. Uh, you know, Golf Digest, I don't know if people saw it, they, they stated that the call against Memphis might be the biggest screw job in the history of modern-day sports. Pretty, pretty strong words for uh, the AAC refs in that game. So, Christian, what do you take, take away about it? Well, watching it in real time, obviously when you see somebody lay out for a catch like that, I was thinking when they went to review, okay, maybe they, you know, maybe this one's going to be close – and as soon as they start flipping through the reviews, I'm like, okay, this is a no-brainer. I mean, he clearly scooped it. He had possession. 
because the rule states even if the even if the nose of the football was to touch the ground, which I from watching the replay a hundred times, I never saw it hit the ground. But even if it does hit the ground, as long as a receiver has possession, then it's still a catch. As long as the ball doesn't move too much, and I didn't see any movement from the ball. Um, and I think even if there was, like even if they have some mysterious replay or even the the footage from the Jumbotron and Lincoln Financial Field, which they did show on the ESPN uh, footage like you mentioned, even if the nose of the ball does hit the ground, you have to stay with the call on the field there because there's just not enough evidence. There's not enough conclusive evidence either way to overturn that. So if they would have called it incomplete on the field, they would have had to call it incomplete. Since they called it complete on the field, it definitely should have stood. Uh, and I think that's that's obvious at this point. I think pretty much anyone who's seen the call has, has said that it's BS and it absolutely was. Now we can't say that Memphis, you know, kicks a field goal or scores a touchdown and wins the game, but it makes a hell of a lot easier if you have the ball right there uh, to make something happen because I think they still had a minute and 48 seconds left uh, at the 30 yard line. They definitely, you know, with how aggressive Mike Norvell is, I, I just don't see him settling for a field goal there. I think he would have tried to push the ball and go score a touchdown. And after a big play like that, a conversion on fourth and nine, obviously we can't say what was, going to happen but Memphis had all the momentum at that point and definitely could have went on to win the game so definitely frustrating for Memphis fans I think it's I think Memphis Twitter is hilarious because everyone that I've seen is putting an asterisk asterisk next to the five and one which I think is I think is pretty funny um because Memphis I mean you don't want to say they should have won the game but they should have won the game you know um but with that being said Brooks that's been covered a ton over the past few days and I think a storyline that's being lost, of course, because Memphis did not win the game, is Kenny Gamewell is still absolutely ridiculous. And we talked about this at length last week, so I don't want to touch on it too much. Uh, but for a second there, he became the first Memphis Memphis player in school history to have 100-plus receiving yards, 100-plus rushing yards. He actually had a negative reception later in the game that caused him to go down the 98 yards. But regardless, Kenny Gamewell can do it all. He's absolutely ridiculous to watch. Brooks you know, just from watching him over these past few weeks and watching him develop, and then I feel like it all came to a head on Saturday because that that was his best full game. I know he's had bigger breakaway plays, but just as a, as a whole, from a running back standpoint, I think that was his best career game. What did you take from it? And and is there anything that is there anything that you can't say about Kenny Gamewell? Or is he just that good at this point? Well, he's he's special. Um... And it, it's interesting rewinding the clock, covering him in high school. Uh, Jonah Jordan, who's now with the Daily Memphian, was extremely high on Kenny Gainwell throughout his entire recruitment. I think you may have been, been an intern then, and you loved him as well. And he's like one of those guys where you feel like Memphis got something special when you start seeing him in the Mississippi All-Star game as a high school player, and uh, he's killing it in that, and you know he just does everything so well he he has great hands he even you know he protects well for a smaller back he you know he finds his his spots to to get his helmet on guys uh to protect brady in in the right coverages he's just really really smart about what he does he's hard to bring down there's really not much that he can't do um and you know speaking of good and I, I know you told me I can't say this, but I'm going to say it. If Brady White doesn't turn the ball over as many times as he does, that's one of his best games of the season. 
363 yards, 8.4 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, 28 of 43. He was really, really good passing the ball. Some of his throws were ridiculously good. You pointed that out to me that some of his throws to to Coxie were some of his best throws of the season. It, you know, he had moments where he he made really really boneheaded mistakes. The the moment where he, you know, was handing the ball off to Rodriguez Clark and pulled it back and put the ball on the ground. That that turnover late in the game to me felt like the the turnover that sealed the deal for Temple and Memphis losing that game. But overall, Brady White was still really good. I know people were, you know, throwing it in my face that I've been, you know, trumpeting for Brady White, talking about how good he is. Um, Man, people came and, after you Saturday. During the game, yeah, they were coming after you. You know, like, what are you going to say now? And here's what I've always said. This is what I've said. Remember this, Christian. I've said, when Brady Brady White's not going to be the guy that goes out and wins you the game. He's not the quarterback that's going to run a, a two-minute, you know, last-second game-winning drive. Um, he's not that quarterback. He's the guy that manages the game that doesn't lose you the game. Saturday was a different story. He he made some really really bad mistakes. One of them, one of his turnovers was. 100% on the offensive line, and I will stand by that. Uh, there's no way that you can watch that film, and I'm sure you uh, will cover that this week on Film Room. There's no way you can watch that play and not say that's on the O-line. So overall, I'm still going to say Brady White is a good quarterback. Um, you know, The fact that Memphis had a chance to win that game, giving the ball away four times, tells you that he's a good quarterback. It should be proof that he is. So, yeah, you know, I mean, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to get myself in trouble if I keep talking. (laughs) I mean, you you know, I'm with you on this one because it just, I I trust my eyes on it. And I know he makes bad plays. I know he gets rushed sometimes. I know he kind of just spazzes out sometimes, but he's not as bad as, I mean, everybody gives this kid hell. Like, as soon as he makes a mistake every Saturday, Memphis football Twitter is blasting him. And it, it's kind of sad. It really is kind of sad because he's not as bad as people make him out to be. I see people saying, Connor Adair needs to be in. We need a quarterback change. If we had a different quarterback, we'd be undefeated on our way to a New Year's Six Bowl. And we can't, I mean, we can't say one way or the other. Memphis could have an incredible quarterback right now and be steamrolling. But they've played well with Brady White at the helm. And I promise you, Connor Adair would not make this team any better. I've watched Connor Adair in practice for two years now. I don't think he's a bad quarterback, but I don't think he's as good as Brady White either. I think if he was, he would be starting. And I know a lot of people say, like, Brady White's Norvell's guy. He would never bench him. If Brady White was losing Memphis football games every week, Mike Norvell would not play him. (laughs) There is no way Mike Norvell would play him if he was as bad as people make him out to be. And like I said, he makes mistakes. He's not perfect. And he really doesn't make a ton of mistakes, but when he does, he gets blasted for him. Like you mentioned, Brooks, the interception was terrible. Uh, I saw what he was going for there on the RPO. He kind of he kind of freaked out and just threw it right at a defensive back. Was not good. Uh, the mesh point fumble between him and Rodriguez Clark was his fault. Um, you said, like you said, there was one on the offensive line and one he just got rocked. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the one he where did. he pulled it and the one where he pulled it and ran, he got smoked. 
And I mean, you can say he should have got down earlier, quicker, whatever. Okay, your quarterback's trying to go win a football game and get yards, and he got hit. It happens. Quarterbacks fumble the ball when they get hit. Well, and Christian, um, let's let's think about this. You know, Brady White sees the criticism. He he doesn't see opportunities to run the ball when the field is wide open. He doesn't take those opportunities. He's scared to run. He can't run. I, and I I know he sees that stuff. And for me, you can't be that kid. You can't be that 21-year-old kid in a Memphis uniform, see that criticism, and see an open lane and be like, no, nah, I'm not going to take it this time. He he saw an opportunity, and he took it. He he did what Memphis fans have been asking him for, and he just got rocked. I mean, he just literally got demolished, and he fumbled. Now, you got to see that hit coming. You got to get down. You got to protect the ball. But, you know, he did what Memphis fans were asking for. I, you know, I think personally I'm not in his head. I don't know what he's thinking. But, you know, I feel like that was a product of just pressure getting to him, wanting to try to make a play that Memphis fans have been asking for and, and ending in a turnover. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's exactly what it is. I think he's just trying to make a play. I mean, he knew Memphis needed a play. He saw the opportunity, pulled the ball, was going to get four or five, six yards and then got drilled. But speaking on Brady White, I think one thing is so consistent with him, and it's mental toughness, and I don't think people respect that enough about him because if you look at over the past few weeks, you look at the Navy game, he could have folded and Memphis could have got steamrolled against Navy. But he came Mm -hmm. back, and he won that game, helped win that game for Memphis, was great in the second half. When Memphis was down 16-0 and he had turned the ball over three times, I think, at that point, he could have folded and Memphis could have got steamrolled by 40 to Temple because that's a good football team. Temple's got a good defense. Their offense was playing well. If he wasn't mentally tough, they would have gotten murdered in both of those games. But he came back, gathered himself, and and like you mentioned, and, and I've said the same thing, Brooks, like Saturday was one of his best games ever throwing the ball. He was making throws that I've never seen him make before. I mean, he was rolling out of the pocket and making great throws and keeping the chains moving for Memphis Unfortunately, he started the game out so bad, turning the ball over that they end up losing. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna get off my soapbox on that one. I think we've we've touched on Brady White enough, but it definitely is a little aggravating to see how quickly Memphis fans will put Brady White on blast. Well, you know he's got a chance to redeem himself. Last year at Tulane in a monsoon, Memphis got absolutely demolished. Uh, that was a disaster game for everybody on the field, Brady White included. Um, so he's got a chance to redeem himself uh, this weekend against Tulane. Looking for that sixth win still. Um, any thoughts early on Tulane? Hey, before you know what? Before we move on, I got to say something. Shout out to Sanchez Blake, 11 solo tackles against Temple on Saturday. That man was all over the place making plays, just massive. Yeah, Sanchez is basically a linebacker playing safety, and I think you see the difference that he's made. Uh, but you spoke about Tulane, and I want to I want to touch on it briefly because I know we're going a little long on our football segment. But um, like you mentioned, it is a it's it's a revenge game. You're not going to hear anybody from the program say that, but there's no way that Memphis wasn't pissed that they went down to New Orleans last year and got absolutely embarrassed by a team they hadn't lost to in I think twenty something years. I mean, it was a long time that they had not lost to Tulane, and they got embarrassed. They played terribly on both sides of the ball, um, and this is not an easy game. This is not the Temple of the past. I mean, the Tulane of the past. This Tulane team is really good. Uh, they've got offensive weapons. Corey Dolphin in the backfield. Justin McMillan has 
I think, 10-2 and two as a starter at, at Tulane. He took over the game after they played Memphis last year against Cincinnati, and I believe he's 10-2 and two or 8-2 and two as a starter since he's taken over. Uh, they've got good receivers on the outside, as Memphis found out last year, and Darno Mooney and Jalen McCleskey, who torched Memphis last year. So this team has a bunch of weapons. They're playing very well. They're 5-1, and one, same record as Memphis right now. 2-0 and in the conference. So Memphis is fortunately back at home. As we know, they play much better inside the Liberty Bowl. So they will have an opportunity to redeem themselves. And one last point before we move on uh, to basketball, Brooks, there's another player who will be able to start to, to start to show himself this week, and that is Auburn transfer John Broussard. Uh, he will be eligible for the first time against Tulane. Not sure how much he's going to play, but I would not be surprised if he played at least a decent amount of snaps. He's been here since the spring. He understands uh, the defense. He knows the coverage schemes, and he can obviously help a secondary that's been struggling over the past few weeks. And I actually spoke with 247 Sports college football analyst John Garcia, uh, who watched John play throughout high school uh, out there in Alabama, watched him play, knows a little bit about him. So before we move on to basketball, I want to play a quick clip from that interview I had with John and uh, and let you guys hear what he had to say about him. What would a contribution look like from John? Because I think a lot of Memphis fans are curious about how this shakes up the cornerback room and they're not familiar with John because, you know, he's never played here and really didn't play at Auburn. So what could a possible contribution from John Broussard look like this season? Well, look, I mean, you can never have too many defensive backs uh, in any conference, any league. Uh, I mean, five teams are five wide empty on first down sometimes. So um, you can never have too many defensive backs and corners in particular. Now, if he has matured technically, uh, maybe he could play some inside. Um, maybe he could play some safety. I'm not sure. Um, but, but purely as a corner, um, he has the ability to, to really help you over the top and, and keep everything I'm in front of you. Um, and I think, again, with the maturity and, and his athletic foundation, um, even with that chip on the shoulder, um, he's one who I think can take advantage of, of any type of role. But but I think he's most comfortable on the outside, kind of classic traditional corner, if that makes sense. Um, and, yeah, I just, I just think he can he can help in certain situations. Like you said, bigger receivers are the trend. Um, and this is, you know, one of the type of guys that, that is there to combat that. And that's important for, for any secondary. All right. So as Christian said, don't be shocked to see Broussard make it on the field this weekend. Uh, one other note on this two-lane game last year in, in that loss, that 40-24 to 24 loss down in New Orleans, uh, Memphis had a total, a total of 31 rushing yards. Daryl Henderson led the team with 51, but Brady White had a, a game low of negative 26 yards. So one thing to watch for is I have a feeling that Memphis is going to make it a point of emphasis to just run the ball down their throats. There is a slight chance of rain on Saturday. We all know rain and Brady White and throwing the ball don't mix. So after that game against Temple with rain possibly in the mix, really wanting to prove a point that, that we can run the ball on this team, I expect Memphis to just, you know, shove a heavy dose of running backs down the Greenway's throat. So that'll be interesting to watch. So Christian, on to basketball. We've spent uh, almost 20 minutes on football alone. Got a lot to talk about it basketball-wise. 
So what do you want to go into? So Brooks, on Monday at AAC Media Day, you know they do all the preseason teams. They pick who you know they pick where teams will finish in the conference. And many people would believe that Memphis would be the outright favorite to win the AAC with all the talent that they're bringing in, and with the rest of the AAC losing a ton of star power. Uh, but they weren't. They were they were not picked as the outright favorites. It was Memphis and Houston. And I think a lot of people are interested to hear why. You know, obviously there's a ton of different theories and opinions out there. So, Brooks, in your opinion, why is that? Why is Memphis not the outright favorite to win the American right now? Well, I think some of it is related to exactly what you wrote um, earlier in the week, and that's that you know, the skepticism around Penny relates to viewing him as a recruiter and a recruiter only, which is uh, absurd. You know, in Penny Hardaway's first season with almost the same roster as Tubby Smith in terms of talent, uh, you know, he had new players like Alex Lomax and Tyler Harris and, and others, but overall, same level of talent. Penny Hardaway was able to take Memphis to a an overall season that fell about a hundred spots higher in the Ken Palm efficiency ratings than Tubby Smith's last team. And that's all based upon coaching. Um, You don't get those kind of results without being able to coach and develop a team. So it's a little, you know, it's a little bit of uh, nuanced, um, I guess, Nuance hatred for Penny. I don't know if it's if hatred's the the right word, but um, you know, I think some people are jealous of what Pitt Penny has going on. Penny also doesn't mince words, so he he certainly hasn't made any friends. But the other part of this that no one's mentioned, and I don't know this for sure because I have not seen the votes, but it wouldn't shock me to to see Penny rank Memphis lower in those rankings on purpose. You know. I, Penny is a genius whenever it comes to maneuvering, positioning. You know, I've always I've said it since he was hired. Penny is playing 40 chess while we're all all over here playing checkers. And you know, he he thinks three moves ahead of everybody. And it wouldn't shock me to see Penny do that as a way to try to create a narrative and motivate his players to to put a chip on the you know, shoulders of fans, that would not shock me at all. And I think that's a very, very hilarious possibility that fits Penny's MO perfectly, and I I love it. I mean, I definitely think that's – I mean, from everything that we've seen from Penny since he got hired, it would not surprise me. But, Brooks, I think another reason, and and it's it's a very different situation, and I actually spoke to Gary Parrish about this – uh, and he he made a lot of good comments. If you want to head over and read that article, Gary had some great opinions and thoughts on why Memphis wasn't the outright favorite. And a lot of it has to do with this obviously being Penny's second year, which you touched on, and people questioning his coaching ability, but also the in, inexperience of this team. This is a young team. They lose five seniors. and Now, they're obviously a much more talented team this year, but they lost five seniors. Uh, they only have a few guys that have played collegiate minutes uh, their potential starting five is going to be all freshmen. So it's a very young team, and I think I think some people are skeptical about that because you don't know how those players are going to react if they lose three or four games in a row, if they're not as good as people thought they were going to be or not as good as they thought they were going to be. But at this point in the season, that stuff does not matter. I mean, this is strictly looking at a team and saying who's going to win it. 
who has the most talent on paper, and I don't even think it's close because when you look at Houston, they lost Armani Brooks, Corey Davis, Galen Robinson, Breon Brady. They literally lost four of their top contributors from last season. And then when you look throughout the conference, there's so much talent gone. You even look at Cincinnati, who still has uh, Jaron Cumberland, but they lost Justin Jennifer and Nazir Brooks. Uh, you look at, at Temple, and they lost Shiz Austin. I mean, there's a ton of talent gone from the conference, and Memphis has this new, energetic, young talent that nobody else has that much of. I mean, nobody else has the level of talent that Memphis has coming in from that 2019 class. When you look at James Wiseman, who could very possibly be the conference player of the year, and then you look at Precious Achiwa, who's projected to be a lottery pick, uh, and just throughout the roster, these guys that could go light up a scoreboard on any given night, regardless of the inexperience, I think you have to base it off the talent. And at this point, I think it's very clear that Memphis is the most talented team in the American. Well, I, you know, to your point, I, I do think it's absurd to even try to make a case that Houston has more depth, more experienced depth than Memphis. You know, you could maybe make that argument if – Quentin Grimes were for sure eligible. That's not a given by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I mean, and and even with that, Quentin Grimes is going to be a sophomore. You know, that's not saying a lot, you know. Uh, Overall, Houston's only got five upperclassmen, and a few of those aren't even legitimate, like, big-minute guys. So there's not a ton that you can look at with Houston's roster and say they're just super experienced. So I think that that theory is bunk. Like it's just straight up not even remotely true. I think it's just a thing where, you know, Houston did well last year. The coaches want to just give a – it's almost like a post-facto tip of the cap to Kelvin Sampson for the job he did last year. You know, it's almost like they're saying, like, well done last year, Kelvin. We're going to vote you first, get you some attention. But I, I can't believe that anybody in in any kind of sincere way would believe that Houston is a better team from a talent perspective than Memphis. You know, Vegas obviously doesn't see it that way. Memphis is, you know, what, one in six? You know, one in six odds for to win the national championship. To win, to win the yeah. national championship, yeah, and, like sixty. Yeah, and Houston odds. is like sixty to one. It's not even remotely yeah. close. Um, so yeah, it's just it's and I, I think there is a ton of still a ton of a chip on the shoulder from the league about Memphis's dominance for years. Uh, there are so many schools that are still around from the the days when Memphis dominated. Um, you know, so it's fun to try to pick on Memphis while you think that they're still down, but I think the message will be loud and clear this year that there's no more picking on Memphis. So, Brooks, despite the talent that we just talked about with Memphis's roster this year, they only had one player on an all-conference team, and that was James Wiseman, who was on the preseason first team, other than that, though, Memphis didn't have anybody, which I think it was very surprising that Precious Achiwa wasn't on there. Uh, but, Brooks, in your opinion, when you look at the first and second preseason teams for the American, are there any other Memphis players you can see making this list by the end of the season? And I'm going to throw a little trick in there, too, as well. Whose spot would they take if those players do make it? Oh, I already know. I mean, that's not a trick, and there will be no surprise here for me. 
Precious Achua is taking the place of Dijon Giroux. He, it, it's insane to me that Dijon Giroux was nabbed. Uh, he was tabbed for first team preseason for the AAC after getting worse at Houston after transferring from UMass. I, I mean, in every statistical category, pretty much, Dijon Giroux dropped in his first season at Houston. And if you look at the numbers across the board, the the idea that this guy as a junior is somehow going to turn around and become a first-team, all-conference guy after averaging numbers similar to that of Kareem Bruton last year is it's just asinine. I'm just going to – so AAC coaches that did that, whoever voted him to first-team, you're – there's probably a reason that you're going to get fired in the next few years. I'm just, I'll put it like that. Uh, it's, it's so dumb to vote a guy like that. Now recording, you know, obviously we're recording this. This is going to be out there. So the moment that Dijon Giroux blows up, everybody can throw this in my face, but I, I'm telling you at the end of the year, when he doesn't, I'm going to bring this back out. Strong enough words for you. All right, you. well, I'm gonna. Yeah, that, that's. I think that's good, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna take the next one. This is. This is gonna be the one I take because if if you have any more, I want you to go. But I just want to take your guy for the fun of it. I'm gonna say Damian Ball is an All AAC second team player, and I think he takes Christian Vitale's spot. I think Christian Vitale is an incredible player. I got to watch him play a few times last year. I think he's really good. When you look at his averages from last year, had 14, five, and two. And I think Damian Ball's stats are going to be close to that, but I think with him being a freshman and I think with how good Memphis could potentially be, I think he slides in over Christian Vitale. Uh, 14 points. Uh, I don't want to say Damian averages 14. I could see him around that 11 to 14 mark, though. Five rebounds, I definitely think he ends up averaging around six and a half. Uh, Assists, 2.4 for Christian Vitale. I think I think Damian Ball could be anywhere from four to six. So I, I think Damian... I think Damian Ball is going to have better better stats than Christian Vitale this year. Also, think he's going to be on a better team. So, for that reason, I do think Damian will take Christian's spot on the second team by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean the the nod is always going to go to players who help their teams win at a high clip, and and obviously with the expectation that Memphis wins the league for everybody on the planet besides AAC coaches. Uh, that means that Memphis's players have done well, done their job, and that means more players like Damian Ball, Lester Quinones, uh, Boogie Ellis, you name it, they're going to be getting attention. So that would not sh- shock me at all if Memphis won the conference, ended up having two to four players make the postseason all-conference team. So uh, I-, I do have to stop and take a moment to mourn I just got the notification. We're filming, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night. Just got the notification that my beloved Cardinals just fell uh, in the NLCS game four, got swept by the dang Washington Nationals tonight. So I guess it's on the 2020 for the cards. Uh, I don't even know who I'm going to cheer for now. So uh, RIP cards for 2019. (laughs) Well, I never thought I'd see the day where we talked about baseball and Tigers in twenty, but I guess there's a I guess there's a first <laughs> for everything. 
Um, Brooks, do you have anybody else? Any anybody else you think could potentially make the team? You don't even have to give me a spot they're going to take. Do you just have anybody else you think could make one of the pre or one of the all conference teams at the end of the season? I mean, obviously Memphis has two other pros on the team, and that's you know Boogie Ellis and Lester Quinones. Both of those guys have a chance to play major minutes. They're both going to have the opportunity to have the ball in their hands and shoot pretty much at will with uh, teams packing the paint to try to defend James Wiseman, Preston Achua, uh, DJ Jeffries, and trying to stop Memphis from a post perspective. They're going to have the opportunity to shoot the ball uh, a ton, and whichever one of them uh, has the best performance this year shooting-wise, I would say – has the best chance of getting the nod. Shooting is a premium, uh, and and right now, if I'm if I'm picking one to have a better performance than the other, I'm going to go with Lester. See, that's interesting to me. Are you talking about purely as a shooter or has a better season? Uh, well, I think if Lester has a better season as a shooter, he will have a better overall season. Yeah, uh, I I mean I can see it. I mean we we know how good of a shooter that Lester is, but. I just think Boogie is a special type of talent. I think he is so good with the ball in his hands. I think he sees everything so well. I think he's an unselfish player. Uh, and I see him having a big year for a, the exact reason you pointed to, and it's because Memphis's front, front court is so good that teams are going to have to spread out so much, and it's just going to leave too much space for these guards to operate. Uh, when I actually spoke to Matt Babcock, who's a former NBA agent, current scout, uh, was at Memphis's Pro Day last week and watched Boogie, and he was familiar with Boogie. And he said he wouldn't be surprised if Boogie is a first-round pick next year. And he said he was very impressed by him, and he also wouldn't be surprised if he is the leading scorer of this team. And I think that obviously says a lot when you look at the talent. So I think if I had to pick one or two, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Boogie. So I'm glad, I'm glad we disagree for once. I'm glad we can have differing opinions for once. Yeah, we, we've got to butt heads a little bit more. You know, I listen to so many – podcasts where the hosts just are constantly at each other's throats. So I think that's what I'm going to start doing. Instead of going after Memphis fans that berate Brady White, I'm just going to start coming after you. You good with that? Yeah, we're just going to have to <laughs> Yeah, we're we're going to have to do like uh Stephen A Smith and Skip Bayless and just set up for the show and be like, "Okay, you take this side and look like an idiot, and I'll take this <laughs> side and look like an idiot, and we'll just we'll piss each other off and make people laugh." Well, Christian, uh, you know, that's pretty much the the main uh, piece of news that came out of AAC Media Days in Philadelphia. Um, I, I did want to cover just for a minute a little bit of recruiting before we move on and or wrap up. So, uh, you know, if you missed it, uh, Jethro Muscadine he he actually announced on Twitter yesterday that he will be announcing his commitment on November first. Uh, Jethro is a, a four star, six ten center. Originally from Haiti, he's now at Aspire Academy in Louisville. Memphis has been recruiting him, trying to get him on on a visit. But like we talked about, I think it was three episodes ago, maybe two, uh, the ties with Kansas are deep. Um, And Kansas is pushing really hard for a commitment. They need some momentum in a very bad way. Kansas is struggling on the recruiting trail. They've already lost players. Uh, with the news of the NCAA allegations and rumors that they're, you know, could be facing different levels of sanctions with the notice of allegations. So Kansas needs a win, and this is a guy that they could get it with. Uh, I do think that Memphis is still trying with Jethro, wanting to get him in for a visit. 
as of today, I fully expect for Jethro to be headed to Kansas. Now, if Memphis does get a visit, all bets are off. You know, a visit can change anything and everything. You know, obviously, I crystal ball Jalen Green to Memphis after his visit. Um, so there's that. I do think uh, overall the the feedback we've gotten from Dawson Garcia's visit uh, from his father and everyone involved there has been very positive. Christian will actually have an article and a podcast uh, coming up about that and off the boards. And I guess the only other thing that we've talked about in VIP, if you missed it, uh, there's a possibility that Devin Askew could be coming back to Memphis for a visit. He actually said that publicly on Rivals uh, in an interview. I hate saying that word, <laughs> Rivals. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, he, he visited Kentucky right after his unofficial to Memphis and I do think if y'all can, I don't know if y'all can hear that. My cat is apparently having a seizure in the background or something and <laughs> sounds like the Lion King in my house right now. Um, so just ignore the noise if you're hearing that. If you're not, I'm not crazy. I swear my cat's meowing. But uh, I, I do think that this is where you're supposed to make fun of me, Christian. You're supposed to break in. I mean, you you do it yourself. My, I mean, when you when you say things like that, there's nothing that I have to say. True. I think you made everybody laugh hard enough. Y- y'all need to take that clip and put that one on Twitter. But um, yeah, I do think that that Memphis will get a visit from Devin Askew. Uh, it, this is a very high priority for them. Uh, Askew is a point guard, as a guy that Memphis could really use next year. So we'll see. You know. All bets are off whenever you're recruiting against Kentucky, uh, but Kentucky just had Cade Cunningham in on a visit. Evan Daniels of 247 Sports, in case you missed it, he actually pulled the trigger on a crystal ball prediction for UK. However, uh, people that I talk to are still telling me Oklahoma State is the team to beat. Um, you know, not to not to buy into the Kentucky hype, but you know, I was told that. Uh, that Scotty Barnes was headed to Oregon, um, you know? So, and I obviously got that one wrong with him headed to Florida state. Um, so, you know, I would say keep an eye on Cade Cunningham. That one obviously makes a massive difference for Memphis and, um, you know, Devin Askew, if, if Cade Cunningham somehow surprises everybody except for Evan Daniels and goes to to Oklahoma State, then I think Memphis becomes the front runner for Devin Askew. Boom. Did I leave you speechless? Are you are you still here? Did you? No, nope, I'm still here. Did you collapse? I was just I, as always letting you go on your rant. <laughs> well, I guess if you, if I'm gonna let you talk that much, I'm gonna take your line to close it. So everybody, head over to GoTigers247.com. Check out everything we've got over there. Uh, multiple things that we've mentioned throughout the episode are over at the site. Uh, whether it's from Memphis versus Tulane, Memphis versus Temple, if you want to go back and check out some of that coverage. A ton of stuff from AAC Media Day, and as Brooks mentioned, we'll have a few off-the-boards episodes coming up, so stay tuned. Uh, Brooks, anything else? Yeah, this week, instead of telling you guys you know, who have already probably reviewed us, this week I want to ask you to do us a favor. Find the biggest Brady White hater that you know, the biggest Tiger fan, 
the the fan that was the most upset over that overturned catch for Joey Magnifico, whether it be your mother, your father, your your kissing cousin, whoever it is, find them, send them the link to our podcast, spread the, the news about the the hilarity of my rants, uh, my ghost meowing cat in the background. Send them the link. Tell them to, to join in, listen, and, and head over to GoTigers247.com and join in on the conversation. We, the more the merrier. We want all you guys and gals listening to us on a weekly basis. So with that said, I got nothing else. Christian? All good over here? All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 